said that uh, you see this goes back to the to the Nisepa law, which I sent to a bunch of you guys, the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act. So depending on when your states enacted it and what power and authority they enacted it with, um, ours was good for 30 days with an extension of 30 days. So the Emergency Power Act that the governor had was was good for 30 days with an extension of 30 days. When he sought to go beyond the 30 day, the 60 days, the second 30 days is when they took it to court. And when they took it to court, then that's when the Supreme Court of the state said, nope, uh, cannot, cannot be done. Um, it is a violation of the law. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things that when the Democrats are back in power, what will they, what will they do? They will modify that act to read that uh, those powers will be authorized until such time as it is deemed the emergency is over. Mm -hmm. And you will have, you know, uh, you will have representation, therefore, of the state. And so, as a result, we all are governed by, you know, by that ruling and that law or that legislation. And if that were to be put into a referendum uh, vote, it would be an entirely different equation than just representative quote-unquote government, because this is something that if we aren't understanding by now, we certainly need to, is that uh, representative government is two-sided government. And if you are agreeing to be you know, controlled by that two-sided government, whichever is in power, um, then you have what you have. And until all of these things are required to be voted on by an entire population of a state, um, I, I don't think we'd see nearly the kind of legislation that we get. So, but you know, they've wore the society down, and the society is is wussified, um, and um, you know. Uh, you know, we become passive as a society, and you know, people are are willing to uh, what I want to say defer to those quote unquote more educated, more uh, you know, whatever they want to call them, I guess, whatever they think they are, um, smarter than the rest of us that, that know what's good for us. So. Well, let, let me change subjects to the crisis de jour. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but we 
We tried to squeeze in some mass shootings, but that didn't really work out in the last three or four days. So now we're back on oppressive, oppressive law enforcement towards black people. And here's something that I, I just wonder how many people think about. When you have this guy's knee on this guy's neck choking him to death, and they kept saying all over and over, this is a white policeman doing this to a black man. Not one news reporter that I heard or anybody says, maybe we ought to take a look at the way they're training these policemen. Because I don't think that they're there to protect and serve, in my opinion. They're there to enforce laws, and their enforcement techniques are draconian, and they're not... They're not easy on people. In other words, I think they're inhumane. And I think there's a good example of it. And no matter what color you are, if you're you're doing barbaric tactics, uh, you should be, in my opinion, somebody ought to do it to that policeman for about five to ten minutes. And see how he likes it. If that's the thing, but then there's always the other thing is bits and pieces of video might not tell the whole story. But I've seen cops in action, and they all have tattoos. Not all, but it's a big thing now. It's sort of this. And by the way, we're supposed to uh, worship sort of these first responder type guys, aren't we? Now I'm confused because we're supposed to be mad at them for what they did to that black guy. But here's my problem. They do it to white people, too. These uh, techniques they're taught at policeman school. So anyway, is it really necessary to flip a guy's legs out, smash his face on the ground, and cuff him? I mean, I know there's been times when that may be necessary, but for the most part, aren't, I don't know, maybe we could look at police records. Aren't most people compliant? Or would you have an opinion on that? Uh, well, I, w- I would have an opinion on a couple of fronts there. I mean, and I don't, uh, I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I'm certainly not an advocate for police brutality. Um, there's a lot of things at, at work here. We have more and more people who are drugged by various aspects of drugs, and they become less compliant. Um, as a police officer, I'd sure hate to be a police officer in today's day because, you know, while you just said there are many people who generally comply, Uh, What do you do with the one guy that doesn't comply, and where do you draw the line between your own safety and other officers' safety? As as you said, snippets of video don't tell the story. So we may very well find that it is a case of police brutality and thuggery. 
And if that's the case, it should be punished. And if something needs to be looked at in terms of how training is and all the rest of it, I got no problem with that. Um, I, I think that we're living in a time where uh, those officers themselves also think of themselves. Uh, look, you send a bunch of officers out in Minneapolis and you tell them that they are to enforce orders of, of, a, health, of a health administrator. And so they're arresting people, doing this and doing that. That you know, once again, you've just fueled the god complex of the of the officer. So instead of him having the mentality that he is there to serve and protect, or to assist, you know, and so forth, the mentality is, you know, uh, hey, I have authority over there over you. Adhere to my authority, and if you don't, I have authority to do whatever I will. And so we're we're seeing the the aspects play out of several different failures on several different fronts. And until there's more information, you know, I don't know one way or another what was done or wasn't done. So we saw in where was it Missouri or somewhere south of the you know the whole thing that played out uh, in appearance was what was that I think it was in Georgia in a small town either Georgia where the guy was jogging no no this is this is the one several years ago that sparked the whole outrage you know several years ago and Rodney King yeah no, not the one in California. This was down, I thought, Missouri oh, or... Yeah. yeah, it was outside of Missouri. The guy yeah. just robbed the liquor store. I don't know what he did, but there was a big hubbaloo, and it turns out that the officers did not do what was said or that things didn't exactly go down the way they you know, were perceived and everything was... Uh, you know, but the you know the Al Sharptons, the the race baiters, and everybody was there. And then and then here's another part of the whole mix. Um, you you have um, you you've seen we've tried to disenfranchise a duly elected president through various means and tactics. We've tried to disenfranchise him by calling him a racist and trying to attach him to the various racial uh, situations that we drummed up. And like you said, like you said, now we're starting the playbook over again. And so now what have we got? We've got another racially charged, you know, police brutality thing. We cannot get these people to get into Civil War more, mode or we cannot get these people yet frustrated enough that they will, you know, uh, rebel and will have to put down civil unrest in the middle of this crisis. So uh, I would be more inclined to believe that that's part and parcel of, uh, and these people are within the administrative agencies. They don't need, just as we found in the IRS situation, that you don't need somebody Sign, uh, you know, uh, typing up a memo and say, this is what we're going to do to these people. You get into those agencies, you know what to do. You 
want to destroy those who are adverse to you. And this is what our American society has become. So to have some bad police officers, you know, be part of the whole thing to get some things going, uh, you know, you'd think that they wouldn't be willing to do that because it would be loss of a job, potential civil liberties, violations, uh, which would include potential jail times even for themselves. Uh, but I don't think some of these people think it through for, far enough. Now, and, now, at the same time this was going on, you had the leader of the opposition, which is Joe Biden, come out and say, if you're not black, uh, something to the effect of then you, if you don't vote for me, you're not black, I think was what it said. Yeah, that was the essence of it. If you don't know who you're voting for or the difference between me and Trump, then you ain't black, you know. Yeah. Now, I can't think of a more racist statement as an example of racism than that. And today, for the world to hear, he came on and said the president of the United States is a fool. And he didn't say it once. He said it about three times. Now, whatever happened to respect the office? Can you imagine somebody saying that about the predecessor, preceding president? What, how they would be treated, especially from an opposition party leadership? Now, he may be a fool, but there's no bigger fool than the man calling him a fool. And um, I thought that was kind of interesting. The pot calling the kettle black. Uh, and then you had, on the other hand, the same old crap coming out over and over and over about we're really going to get these guys on all these laws they broke with the Mueller investigation. You know, it's comical at this point. When you have your uh, attorney general saying, we're not going to pursue any of these crimes that were broken because they're part of the swamp, which is I'm an active member of, why would I want to prosecute one of my swamp brothers? He might have some swamp on me. See how it works? Oh, yeah, I'm... I'm fully aware of of, uh, of the good old boys network. Yeah, so we have all these huge crimes being broken. No airtime for those. But we get these partial videos, and boy, we're stoking the fire for a little civil unrest, like you said. But uh, we go again. Uh, and also, another thing to make note of is why these people are being arrested in, in the first place. And uh, like the guy in New York was choked to death because he was selling cigarettes on the sidewalk. 
And this guy here today in Minnesota, uh, I think he was, I think, counter, maybe passing a counterfeit bill or something. I could be wrong on that. But, boy, we have the crime industry. People must be really doing better because on the one hand, we're choking them over that. On the other hand, we're letting them out of prison because we're afraid they might get this this uh, virus. I mean, none of it adds up, does it? They emptied the prisons. So maybe the secret is to just uh, hands up, don't shoot. Then it just turns into a processing merry-go-round. Hang on, and you'll be out shortly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's 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 the day's topics. Where do you want to go? The Word of God. Well, I uh, spent a little time in the Book of Joshua, and. uh, you know, one of the things that, that I think that I see so much is how the atheists, the Antichrist, and the agnostics, the, the enemies of God, um, what they do is accuse Yahweh of being a genocidal God, a murderous God, you know. And they'll cite things like Job's family destruction, you know, for no reason, Job 2, and they'll always neglect to convey the truth. Uh, They'll accuse God of approving the massacre of a people at peace, Judges 18, while neglecting what the record conveys. And they accuse Yahweh of rape, brutalization of innocent babies, you know, like Jeremiah 13, Isaiah 13, and Hosea 13. And all the while ignoring the biblical record. And they'll accuse God of professing to abhor child sacrifice. uh, But then ignore the biblical record at scriptures like Judges 11, 30 to 39. And they'll even promote and accuse him of Promoting, I guess I should say, you know, accuse him of promoting cannibalism. Uh, Jeremiah 19, Ezekiel 51, Leviticus 26. And the accuser, they're always advocating their their moral equivalence uh, is, is greater and higher. Um, I don't know if you notice that or if you consider that, um, you know, when these kinds of things get bannied about. But I always marvel at it and think about, isn't it interesting how in the process of their exposing, you see, the God of this Bible as being so despicable, they really are showing themselves 
as being higher and more moral and more righteous. Well, right back to the garden, isn't it? Yeah, it is right back to the garden. And no. This entity insinuates that, that our God's a liar, and the only thing he fears is competition. Isn't that the essence of what he told her? Yeah. And that's kind of like, why can't we have the good life like everybody else, you know? Why can't Why can't we live in a gated community with swimming pool? I mean, the people on the outside know this class warfare crap. Yeah, when are we going to fully comprehend and understand that this is the essence of the garden story? Yes. We... are basically continually told by others that, and this, let's just say it, what it is, they're, they're the enemies of God, enemies of his appointed um, whom he commissioned to bring righteousness to the creation. They reject outright his existence, his divine immutable authority over the creation, and the created, and they do all this while simultaneously appearing holier and more righteous than the creator. Mm-hmm. And what we've been experiencing in the last couple months is no different. They know more. They have a better idea of how to protect us and provide for us. And even provide for us while they tell us you can't even work to feed your own mouth, which is a basic biblical tenement. And this is why they must be allowed to be free of these religious or moral constraints that are found in in such things like the Bible and and constrained by this deplorably despicable God of the Bible. He's his own God. He's the master of his own morals. There's something that I had often marveled at in the book of Joshua and and I'm not sure how many people I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon uh, about it Um, but let's go to Joshua chapter 5 Just for context, Moses has already uh, passed away. He's died, and the Israelites are are beginning to start basically a new era after this 4,000-year bondage in the Mitzurain of Egypt. Uh, Joshua's been 
guided over the Jordan here up to chapter 5 by the hand of God. And, and the fear of the Israelites descends on the inhabitants of the land of Canaan because, you know, let's face it, um, news might not have traveled by email back then, but it traveled. And those that were led by this pillar of, of fire by night and cloud by day were certainly heard about far and wide. And uh, I think this is the pivotal verse that the atheists, the antichrists, and the enemies of God, and therefore the enemies of the Israelites, just cannot stand. Um, let's read verses 13 to 14. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Neither. But as captain of the hosts of the Lord, I am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What says my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose your shoe from off your foot, for the place wherein you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, to me, that's the appearance of Yahweh in the presence of a physical man. And it's not insignificant. It's the same as the appearance in a flaming bush was with Moses, or even with Abraham, possibly in the same manner also is this account here with Joshua. Joshua 5, 13 to 14. So not knowing the man or the nature of his presence, Joshua boldly asked, Art thou for us or our adversaries? And the response of the man is priceless. It's priceless to me anyway, because the answer is neither. And it reminds me of a message fellowship that we did some time back, and it said, God's ways are not our ways. And God has a way which is not ours. The atheist, the agnostic, the antichrist, they reject this outright. The answer conveys that we, that is Joshua in this case, or the us Joshua is expressing, is a recurring problem with the created. It's not so much about us as it is about Yahweh. He says, you for us or for our adversaries. And this man says to Joshua 14, neither, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. You know why I know that was God? 
Do you recall instances in the Bible where an angel appeared? And the same thing happened by a man that fell down to worship and was told, get up, I am as you. But this man here did not do that. And my point here is is that it's really not about Joshua, and it really wasn't about are you for us or against us. It's the Creator who is demanding to be glorified. And this, the agnostics, the atheists, the antichrist, they cannot stand this. That God would expect and demand to be glorified and to be honored. You know, mankind is on this quest to present himself as the one to whom honor and glory is due. But you know, Yahweh's not offended by Joshua's request, but he clearly gets his attention. He says, but as captain of the host of Yahweh, am I now come? Well, that pretty well put Joshua right down face to the ground, which is what the scripture records. And of course, the rest of the... Excuse me, go ahead. It sure was Joshua. The rest of the instruction to Joshua of Joshua 6.2 is, is there. And 6.2-5. Uh, to five. See, that's all pure folly and fable to the adversaries. And, and it shouldn't be believed by rational thinking beings. But even when the archaeological ruins do indeed convey a city with a very high wall, that although it had fallen, the army of Joshua is required to go up into the city to take it. And the large archaeological findings seem to indicate that the pile of rubble was so great that they did indeed go up the pile of rubble to get into the city. And the point is, which is made by the captain of the host of Yahweh, is that it is God who did or directed the events in the land of Canaan. The record reflects God's hand in it, not unlike any other historical events which God and his hand has not been in, or events which his hand has not been in. And even if it's withdrawn because of the evil which arises contrary to the will or the command of God, the atheists, the agnostics, the antichrist, they ignore it, reject it anyway. You know, the evidence is in Joshua chapter 7. 
and seldom here in America for certain and God's people clearly the world over, seldom is there a pause to look at ourselves in America and consider if, if God was with us against the tyrant king in 1776, why has all this evil befallen us? When you look at... Go ahead, Rob. Let me interject this. Well, I think pertinent. The captain is the one who stands at the head of the all others. Exactly. The leader, the leader, chief, the head man. That's who this captain of the host of the Lord was. That was talking to jo- Joshua. Okay. Yep. And so I asked the question. When we go to Joshua chapter 7 and we learn in the biblical record that there was sin in the camp, and I ask, has Israel in America committed trespass in the accursed things? But the church, the church seldom even speaks about it doesn't even look at its own precarious situation and even present the possibility. In 7.19, Joshua says, he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. Now, this question here is the same question he asked of every man that was brought before him. Give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel. Where in, the, where in America, where in the world is the church world saying to the, that the leaders of the households of America and say, give, I pray, the glory to the God of Israel and make confession unto him and tell me what you have done, hide it not from me. Yahweh wants his name honored. He wants his name glorified. The creation over. And isn't it, isn't he justified that he would seek to intervene in order that he be justified? Yeah. 720. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Let's flip back to 617. 
and the city shall be, let's see, uh, wait a minute, uh, 18, 6, 18. He says, and you in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. Last week, we fellowshiped and discussed the idea of being associated with workers of iniquity. And we are associated with these workers of iniquity. Just the same way that that Achan sought to take the things that he was clearly instructed not to take. This glory is going to God. You do not take anything that you bring upon your own self glory. And that's what happened. He brought upon himself or attempted to bring upon himself the glory of the gold and the silver and I guess a coat of arms or something equivalent to it. And I just find that that aspect there in seven, I think it gets missed. I think it gets overlooked. And as I say, I don't believe I've ever heard a sermon about the captain of the host that appeared there. And as you said, Russell, that's what went through my mind reading that again. And I'm thinking, you know, our God is standing there as the captain overlooking the battlefield overlooking the soldiers. And Joshua makes the command and instruction in 18. Are we to assume that Joshua's instruction of 18 and 19 were something that Joshua devised on his own? And the judgment declared was a, a curse upon all Israel. But the atheist, agnostic, and antichrist wail about the injustice of sentencing the children for the sin of the father, you see. Because in 722 to 6, that's what is perceived. Let's read it. So Joshua sent men to church. They ran to the tent. Behold, it was hid in his tent. The silver under it. They took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto the children and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his ox, his ass, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned him them with fire, and they had stoned, after they had stoned them with stones. 
And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. See, those people look at that and say, look, this God says that he doesn't punish the children for the sins of the father, and yet he just did. Therefore, he's an animal. But I have always questioned, is our interpretation incorrect? Isn't it funny, Russell, we talk about this a lot, and Rich, you know, that people will interpret something. And that interpretation basically becomes gospel. Even though it's probably the farthest thing from the biblical record. Whether doctrines or parables or allegories, visions, prophecies or metaphors, and even the scriptural words themselves, we must remember we cannot be misled to interpret them contrary to the laws of God or contrary to the biblical historical record. So if we interpret that the children were brought as the children were also put to death, that's an interpretation. Joshua says, Why as you troubled us, the Lord shall trouble thee this day, and all Israel stoned him. All Israel stoned him. And then it says, and burned them with fire. Is our interpretation incorrect? Did we burn oxen, sheep, and ass, and all the other household belongings, but stone Achan? Did we stone Achan, his children, his wife, and then burn them. 26. They raised over him. They raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. You see, if our in if our interpretation is wrong, we are incorrectly attributing something to God which is not within his nature. Now, there will be some that will say, wait a minute, Doug, wait a minute, Doug. Go back to 715. It shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire he and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has wrought folly in Israel. So therefore, all that he has is his family. All that he has is all the belongings. And so therefore, 15 tells us 
that indeed there are interpretation that God did authorize this or stood idly by while Joshua authorized it? Man, Doug, that is amazing observation. Because in the Septuagint, it clearly says him instead of them. I am so glad you decided to look in the Septuagint because I did likewise. That's, and that's you Say know, again. That is a huge difference in words. Him and them. And and that's what the agnostic and the atheist loves, you see. They love to be able to say, you see, there's a problem. Your God's a liar. Your God's, you know, uh, uh, a genocide. In fact, I thought maybe what I would title this fellowship is Joshua, God's genocidal commander. The case against Yahweh. Because, you know, it's another one of those cases against Yahweh that they love to throw out there. And so, again, the word otam, otam, translated them is number 853. It is a sign of the definite direct object not translated in English, but generally preceding and indicating the accusative. Well, I didn't say again. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Then Joshua took Achor, son of Zorah, and led him up to the valley of Achor with Okay, this is what's important. With his sons and his daughters and his cattle and his asses and all his flock and his tent and all his goods, just like you said, and all the people accompanied him. And when they had led them up to Achor, Joshua said to Achor, Why hast thou destroyed us? The Lord destroyed thee as at this day. Then all Israel stoned him with stones. And when they had raised over him a great heap of stones, the Lord ceased from the fierceness of his anger. For this cause he called that he called that place Emekor, which is the name of it today. And you know what? If all those family members saw that, you can bet it it put a message in their mind, didn't it? It was quite a scene, was it not? Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 2. If there be found among you within any of thy gates which the Lord God gives thee, man or woman that has wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant, in transgressing his covenant, 
Then shalt thou bring forth that man, verse 5, or that woman which hath committed that wicked thing, even that man or that woman, and shalt stone them with stones till they die. Do you think Joshua understood that law? I think he did. And I think he learned it the hard way because he had his problems or problems back when Moses was up doing his thing. That may not have been Joshua, but I imagine, you know, you can learn things by watching leaders as a young man or a child, what to do or not to do or you know, especially when they're punished. Yeah, and the atheist, the agnostic, the antichrist, you see, they can't receive this either because the will, the command of Yahweh requires obedience to the commission. And the commission is the oath and the covenant. So once again, Yahweh is relegated to an unjust, barbaric murderer because they reject the biblical record. Not only do they reject the biblical record, they reject the command and the will. And if he commanded that they were to enter this covenant with him, and he commanded that his name is to be glorified and that his name is to be magnified. And by doing something contrary to the will or command, you bring upon the whole group the sin of Achan. Why is it so hard for us to understand in America, and indeed the world over, what is happening to us? So part of the intention that I resolved here for this fellowship is to point out that the captain of the host of Yahweh had to be God because Joshua fell on his face to the earth and an angel would have corrected him. Joshua is told the same thing Moses was. And it really does convey that Joshua stood in the presence of the Holy of Holies. And not only that, but this captain of the host, just like you said earlier, he is so acute to the battle scene. He is so aware of the seemingly inconsequential activities of the soldier in the field. Why? Because his reputation hangs in the balance. Because he knows the accusers are going to accuse him of being a murderer, of being a rapist, of being a child sacrificer. And such was the case with Achan. 
observation of the soldiers is as important as observation of the battlefield. And where's this observation of the battlefield in Christendom in America, much less the world? Let's flip back to Joshua chapter 7, verse 8. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their backs before their enemies? Let's look at Yahweh's response, verse 11. Israel has sinned. They've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed things and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. You know what the word dissembled used in the King James means? Dealt falsely, acted deceptively, or feigned obedience. Someone in Israel feigned obedience, stole, and transgressed the covenant. If this is from one family of the family of Jacob Israel, multiply this for multiple families and multiple incidences, and one has to see the justification of Yahweh in executing judgment in the land. This is the point of the record in Joshua. Certainly, it is so small it almost gets overlooked. Joshua 5, 13 to 15. This is the, the next 15 chapters after chapter 5. They aren't even about Joshua. They're not even about Joshua's exploits of war. And they're not even about Israel's exploits of war. It's about the God of creation doing his will in the creation. We can't even comprehend it. 21 chapter, Joshua 43. The Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he swore unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. That's remarkable. That's why, that's why they hate us 
And that's why they hate God. Well, and also, I took I took note in that uh, in the Septuagint, God said, "I am the Captain General of the Host of the Lord." Just arrived, and, and you look at that word "general." It says uh, involving all directly from the Latin generalis, relating to all of a whole class from genus, stock, kind. Give birth, beget, which derivates, referring to procreation, family, and tribal groups. This is this is the top of the heap, isn't it? He is the host of the hosts, isn't he? Uh-huh. A uh, few exceptions to the general. Thought that was. They didn't want any any misunderstanding in this Septuagint, did they? No. Complete jurisdiction over all. He is the captain's captain. Genesis chapter 13. We've got God speaking with Abraham. Verse 14, the Lord said unto Abram, after that, Lot was separated from him. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are now northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Genesis 13:15. Genesis 15:18. Genesis 15:18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaims, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. They just can't stand that God exercises dominion over his creation and takes from whom he will and gives to whom he will. Genesis 26, verse 3. Sojourn in this land, and I'll be with thee and bless thee, for unto thee and thy seed I will give all these countries. I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. 
Genesis 28, beginning at verse 4. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 24. He shall deliver their kings into thine hand, and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou have destroyed them. You know, when God makes a promise and then keeps that promise, and then we turn around and spit in his face, would God be justified in... withdrawing some of those blessings. He's already fulfilled his promises. He's already consecrated or glorified his name, if you will. And it just does make me wonder sometimes if if he hasn't just about had his fill. Are you telling me somebody may have done something wrong and needs to be rooted out of the camp? Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the accursed things that we are partaking of, Yeah, we participate in usury practices. And whose usury practices are those? They are of the unrighteous. They are of the wicked who practice them. And they practice it against us for the purposes of ruling over us. Because God did not give them dominion to rule over us. If you want to rule over those that you cannot rule over, you have to devise a way in which to rule over them. Indirectly. Indirectly. And you preserve yourself because the administrator gets his hands dirty and you're uh, above the fray, as they say. You just sit and watch the destruction take place. And 
isn't it safe to say that's what they do during this COVID crap? Just sit back and watch the destruction take place. Watch the destruction and lick their lips and clap their hands as to how they are going to benefit, profit, and organize against those that they hate. And really, this COVID thing has been like a New Year's party for our, for our, our adversaries, hasn't it? I tell you what, when that oil hit zero, I sent you a text on that, and I said, could this be the sign that the petrodollar has been brought down? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't but a couple of days later, one of the men sent me um, that email that I sent you, that guy, I, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in that. I just felt it was interesting to see that someone is thinking along that line that the, the petrodollar went to zero. Um, I, you know, I, I looked at several things there that he had in his PowerPoint presentation too, uh, which was also a link uh, provided in that. And, you know, I I sent, um, um, oh, who was it that sent me that? I sent him an email back and I I said to him, um, the interviewer, the interviewer um, in that, um, oh, help me out, Russell. Uh, whatever that guy was that was interviewing his his channel there or whatever, um, I noticed in the comments down below, uh, in about like the third or fourth comment, there was a, a lady that had remarked something, and oh shoot, I'm going to totally mess this up completely now because I don't even. Every time I start to think of something, it slips away from me. My thoughts here. Um, but um, well, I'm not even sure what we're talking about, Doug. But oh, the the thing I sent you uh, that email. Uh, maybe you haven't even looked. At me. Huh? Not about the the dollar being as we know it forever being gone. Right. Yeah, that was it. Um. That that was it. Um. Because it was a couple days before that that I said, I, you know, one thing that's been, you know, on my mind is how that petrodollar went to zero, and that's what it's been referred to as a petrodollar, you know. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I was just thinking that is really weird, you know. If that isn't a sign uh, that they have, you know, made a transition that we don't yet know and are not yet seeing. Um, and don't yet understand, perhaps, um, you know, that was something that I definitely uh, felt was interesting. But anyhow, I, I sent him an email back because one of the responses of the guy that does the interview, I'm looking for it while we're talking, um, I, I went down, sometimes I like to look at what people comment because it gives me a sense of where people are at, you know what I mean? It gives you a sense of 
Uh, yeah, okay, so the guy is USA Watchdog. And as he's doing that interview, um, as I say, I scrolled down and the lady said something in the comments. And the guy that does the USA Watchdog uh, site and was doing the interview, he commented back to her and kind of snarky and said, well, maybe your perception of things is wrong or something. And it had to do with basically globalism, you know. And I thought, well, that's a very interesting comment from a, quote, USA watchdog. And as I looked at the, the slide presentation the, that the guy, uh, Polney, did, I, I was looking at something on there. And something caught my attention on that one, and I can't remember what that one was either. Um, if I went back and looked at it, it would jump out at me again, but go ahead. It's interesting that you brought that up because I'm in the habit now of on those websites where they give you those little snippets for your own good to, so you can have some topic of discussion. Yeah. Any of these... Things. If you'll dig down at the bottom, eventually you'll find about us. Yeah. You, know about? you bet. Dig hard if you dig hard enough, and it always seems to lead right back to a Goshen or a Goldsmith or a Silverstein. Just <laughs> at, at the time, you know, these people know how to pedal. Their wares. Yeah. And so essentially it comes right back to what we're talking about where they play both sides of it. And and in the process, they're making money, just like the guy is making money off of the gold predictions, you see. Um, um, gosh, I'm looking well, for it. I, I've got it up right now. Susan. You think about this. You think about how much money Fox News has raked in the past 90 days. Astronomical. And the CBS crap and the NBC crap, the station of the Matt Lauer women abusers, all that's forgotten. And Gail King said she just, morning, she just... She just doesn't want to be a part of this country that oppresses black men. I mean, that's just too much for her, she said. I can't even comprehend it. You better comprehend it, lady. There's some bad things going on, isn't there? Yeah. She should have said, we we need to take some time here and pray for the, pray to the Lord to forgive us of our sins. Uh, that's not going to happen. You know, it it looks like that comment has been taken off. That is interesting. Um, I know it was a woman, and she said something about the New World Order, and he fired back and said, well, maybe your perception or your understanding is wrong. I'm not seeing it. I'm looking at the email right now. Um, I know I didn't scroll. Well, maybe um, I, I said maybe I didn't scroll that far down. Um, 
But he himself responded to her, and I thought, that's a very curious. And so I responded to Carl about it and uh, said, I thought that was a real curious response. And um, uh, so, yeah, I'm not seeing it. It could be that I'm just missing it, trying to look for it right now. But so anyhow, it's just another one of these examples where I try to, like you say, you know, look and and I don't just throw something out willy-nilly to people just because you know it's it's you know it it fits our you know our belief system or as some put it our world view you know or whatever I tend to try to look and see if there's something that I that I ought to know and whatnot but like you said I I, I don't do a lot in trying to search who's behind it but uh, I know this much, a USA watchdog that's promoting gold and, and silver and everything else the way they do and, and the promotions that are being done, it, it's designed to get you to buy gold and silver commodities through them. And that in and of itself is, is a tool of the trade, is a sales pitch in which to get people to move um, and the sale, the more believable the sale pitch is, and they now know that they have a market with those in Christendom, if you will. And um, if you, if I can attribute and attach it in some ways to an end time prophecy or to this, that, or whatever else, and get you to move the needle as to buying some more gold and silver or whatever. Um, you know, or putting your money in my pot, which says you're getting gold or silver, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's just another one of the things you look at with eyes wide open and, and caution, you know. But um, uh, chapter 23 and 24 of Joshua, obviously, um, he uh, he speaks to Israel, you know, and Joshua 23 and 4 are, are almost a, a sermon in and of, of themselves. Um, you know, uh, we, we still to this day in the people's minds have still relegated gods to an interpretation which is gods of sticks and stones and so forth. And that's problematic for Christendom because they tend to, you know, they tend to not recognize what's happening to them. In 24.8, it says, I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose out and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beer, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. You went over Jordan, came under Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, 
but not with thy sword nor with your bow. I gave you, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not. You dwell in them of the vineyards, the olive yards, and you planted of which you did not plant, and do eat. Therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day. See, that right there, you know, we, we cannot see the gods right here that we serve. We, it's just impossible for us to see. It's, it seems like the people just lack the capacity to understand the gods which they serve. So he says, choose what you're going to serve, whether the gods of your so- that your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. Well, what were those gods? Were those gods not the gods of G- Egypt? Were they not the leadership of Egypt? Were they not the ones that they served? Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? And you just well, read what the people said. Yeah. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up out of our and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwell in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression nor your sins. If he forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, he will turn and do you hurt, consume you after he has done you good. This is just unspeakable. And you people call yourself lovers of this God? This is just unspeakable. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen you the Lord to serve him. It should be Yahweh and all of those. You are witnesses yourselves that you have chosen you, Yahweh, to serve and him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods, which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God, will we serve? His voice will we obey. Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of Yahweh. 
Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. And Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. Joshua dies. You know, I've oftentimes tried to put it in a parental-child relationship. I was speaking with a lady this morning, and uh, I sense that she's searching, her and her husband. I spoke with him for a little uh, brief period, a little briefer, because he was milking the cows. And uh, they're searching. And some good things came of this house arrest, if you will, that swept the nation. Uh, Some people had opportunity to listen to some other fellowships, if you will. And I believe that this was a couple that heard some new things, uh, brought up Catholic, grew into the Lutheran church and, you know, basically have been Lutherans ever since. And she says to me, she says, I don't even remember exactly how it popped out, but she said, but aren't all things clean unto us or something like that? And I said, well, you go read those scriptures again. And I said, then after you read them, you read them again. And I said, after you read them, you read them again with your husband. And I said, then if you still got a question, then give me a call. And I said, if you found the answer, call me anyway. So I can rejoice with you that you found the answer. And such it is with things like this in Joshua 5 that I'd like to share when I can, when I think about these things. And, and, and the whole, I guess, inspiration on this particular one was just the fact last week how I was trying to kind of maybe start the ball rolling in a certain direction for our minds to get into the concept that I think we're going to start addressing here in June and that I've sent you guys some emails on and, and, and think that we ought to address it. And last week's fellowship, you know, trying to get us an understanding of what it means to associate ourselves with accursed things or with accursed ones or with accursed doctrines, etc. And um, so it's kind of been, it seems, the working of the Spirit, in, at least in my mind, that this is trying to kind of start directing our minds 
to understand that concept more fully and have a greater appreciation of of what it it means to really be separated from from those that that do those kinds of things i think god would rather that we were not associated that we were disassociated if you will and like some of these people have become themselves disassociated from church uh you know and so forth because they're not being associated with the unclean thing and so i think in some respects it's it's a protection um that that the spirit provides people and as they're coming out they may not have another place to go or to join fellowship with so that they can find themselves enjoying fellowship and sweet fellowship it, it's that transitional period and and by by separating themselves and coming out from those other doctrines and so forth that are leading them astray and essentially you know and it, it went right on to the whole laws done away thing you know well, and how can we know what's going on with us if our church is going to do what they've done go ahead i think it's interesting here in joshua on that very last chapter where we just get through with this great cleansing and wouldn't you call it a revival or a renewal or an awareness an awakening whatever you want to call it the people of israel said we will serve none but the lord in 21 and the people answered god forbid that we should forsake lord to serve other gods it goes on and on and on and on and then you get down to, to verse 33 the very last uh verse in the chapter it says as for the children of israel they had gone to their several homes and to their respective cities and when the children of israel fell to worshiping Astorte and asherah and the gods of the nations around them the Lord delivered them in the hands of Eglon, the king of Moab, and he exercised dominion over them for 18 years. Which so, uh, which verse are you in? I was reading the last one of 27 of Joshua. The very uh, last verse of Joshua. Well, I've only got 24 uh chapters in joshua sorry it is 24. i'm looking at these roman numerals so so i'm wondering here if this is one other thing we need to take note of be careful what you promise god and and there's a certain amount of diligence involved i think Oh yeah, I mean, if you make an oath, um, that oath uh, is an oath, and you know, should we not hold someone to their oath? You know, if if you and I have an agreement, that's an oath. Uh, you expect me to fulfill my terms of the agreement. I expect well, you would fulfill your terms. 
And also this this Astaroth Astarte they had benefits apparently. You know, they're not going to fall off the wagon for nothing, are they? These children of Israel. There's a weakness to there's a weakness to us apparently. And our adversary knows how to tweak it. I mean I mean think about it. They've just gone through all this. And it doesn't I mean maybe I didn't read it correctly how much distance was from this to that encounter where they swore their allegiance. I don't know how many years went by. You know, you read that part of that scripture and I could not figure it out and I something hit me. I remembered that there's a few things in the Septuagint that are not recorded and I didn't recall it as being. But that last paragraph that you read from the Septuagint oh. is not in the King James at all. Oh. It's not in the New American Standard either. Well, I did not know that. Well, let me read um, 33, Joshua 24, out of King James. Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phinehas' son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. And that's the end. The Septuagint goes on and says, At that time the children of Israel took up the ark of God, carried it about among them, Phineas officiated as priest in the room of his father Eliezer, and when he had died, he was buried in Gebar, which belonged to him. As for the children of Israel, they had gone to their several homes and to their respective cities, and when the children of Israel fell to worshiping Astarte and Astaroth and the gods of the nations around them, the Lord delivered them into the hands of Eglon, king of Moab, and he exercised dominion over them 18 years. Uh, yeah, we we can't understand being delivered into the hands of an enemy of God. We we can't fathom that this is happening to us today. Mm-hmm. Well, and all God did was keep his promise, didn't he? Yeah. So if you want to beat up on God, you got a problem with justice. You know, our adversaries would say, "What a, what a sorry God this is." Exactly, which is what I was saying throughout this this fellowship is that they accuse him of being so deplorable, so despicable, because they refuse to acknowledge these are the things which he has done. They, they're, they're his will. They weren't our will. There, there isn't, there isn't anything that is done that is not, in the end, according to his will. Well, we may do something. That? Go ahead. Continuing with your metaphor, or what uh, the family, Daddy says, don't. Stay up past twelve midnight, or don't don't do something. 
and if you do it, I'm going to apply a stimulus to your rear end. <laughs> and then you go right out and do it. Daddy completes the whole cycle. People say, well, he's over there beating his kids again. Yeah, I didn't think you would actually apply stimulus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't I didn't know you meant that. And and the kid and I'm speaking from personal experience. I knew what stimulus was headed my way. You know, and I'd put on an extra pair of shorts or two and that didn't work either. But I never got turned around and looked at daddy and said, "You are so cruel. Look what you've done to me." You know, that's the hardest part about being a daddy is administering justice because they're not going to like you for it. At that time, when you apply the stimulus, you're not one of their favorites. Hopefully, after they've thought about it for a while, I've yet to have one come up and say, thank you, Dad, for that stimulus package you just gave me. <laughs> you, you, you haven't had that happen yet. <laughs> not 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 yet. I may have heard it facetiously, facetiously spoken. But, you know, you know you've matured when you get to that point. Think about it. When you can walk in there and go, I really needed that. Thank you. Because to sit still and do nothing sends a message as well, doesn't it? Yeah. So you're glorified if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Maybe we better start doing. Yeah, you know, and and that's the thing is 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 trying to consider why we're in the case and the condition that we're in, and um, you know, we could stop much of this. And he's given us all the promises that these things can stop and enemies that have been raised against us can be removed by our definitive actions to be obedient. The the record is clear. And it's the same in the parent-child relationship you just spoke about. All of the the stimulus programs are there, aren't they? They just require obedience. And they have full access to all of the programs. You know, Doug, I heard this morning, I was doing something in the kitchen, I think, and on CBS, somebody made the comment, they were talking about how the Chinese, all these great things they had done, as comparing them to the Americans, and one of the uh, specialist smart people commentators said, well, that's because the Chinese are a more obedient race. I thought, hmm, 
And the other one said, so you're saying Americans aren't obedient or aren't as obedient as the Chinese? And I thought that was an interesting choice of words. Uh, A lot of times you're obedient when you have a gun to your head. (laughs) You get very obedient, don't you? Yeah. You know, in the old Westerns, they'd say dance, and the guys would dance. I don't think they were really in the mood. But when the bullets were shooting underneath them, they were doing an Irish jig like you can't believe. Yeah. And that's a motivator, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, who's going to close us out with a prayer? Well, go ahead. All right. Father in heaven, creator of all things. Thank you. Thank you for all things. Lord, help us to learn how to rejoice in all things. Thank you for giving us some wisdom. Thank you for giving us some understanding. Father, we appreciate the the vehicle that you've allowed us to have to, to sharpen each other's sword. Pray that more would join in, but if not, we'll just keep, Lord, we'll just keep sharpening our swords and thanking you for it. Father, you know, this sin is horrible in our land. I wish we could find out the source of it and stone it. But maybe we can someday. But thank you for Doug. Thank you for for the other men, wherever they might be. Lord, I'm very appreciative of the family that you've allowed me to be over, and for the many blessings you've given us, we we. We call out in the name of Jesus Christ, beg for help. We groan for help. We groan for guidance on our next step, a step that would please you, Lord. And thank you for this message we heard tonight. We appreciate it so much, Jesus. In your holy name we pray, amen. 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 Rich, you got anything to add here? Well, I think things are getting down to the wire here. Lord, we're going to need some protection. Yeah. We're going to need Expound, on our side. We're going to need... Red Sea deliverance them. people in charge of our states right now, Father. The Antichrist is raising its ugly head. We ought to punish your people, not that we don't deserve it, 
Lord guys. Need some help in this one. Don't deserve us in our time of need. Let them bless our families. Keep the food on the table. Keep the smiling grandchildren. Nice and safe and sound. We pray to you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen, brothers. Yeah, I know a lot of people are still quite afflicted under this yoke of oppression, so definitely keep everybody in prayers that way because it's being, it's different all over the country and the afflictions are are mounting. Mm-hmm. So. It's not. All right, good night, man. All right, good night. Good night.